new developments this morning out of Ukraine. Ukraine claiming responsibility for a fiery attack on the headquarters of Russia's Black, uh, Black, Fleet, Black Sea Fleet in Crimea. New video is coming in showing that plumes of smoke just coming out of the buildings in the aftermath of this strike. Russian state media says debris has been scattered hundreds of meters. Ukrainian officials are warning the Russian Black Sea Fleet could be quote unquote sliced up like a salami is how they're saying it if they don't surrender the Navy headquarters. These new attacks come as Ukraine is ramping up its counteroffensive, continuing to try to push on its counteroffensive operations against Russian military bases. So far, one Russian soldier is reported as missing after this latest attack. CNN's Katie Polglaze is tracking this from London for us. Katie, what more are you picking up now? Well, as you mentioned, clearly we are now hearing that Ukraine is taking responsibility and the language is quite astonishing. You mentioned cut up like a salami. Well, we'll hear this. They say as well that Russia has two options for the future of its Black Sea fleet, voluntary or forced self-liquidation. Now, this is quite strong language from the Ukrainians, and clearly it's coming off the back of some confidence here at a very successful major attack on this headquarters of the Black Sea Naval Fleet. And it isn't just the attack today. There was also an attack yesterday at the Saki military airbase, also in Crimea. And there was also an attack last week, also in Sevastopol, at a ship repair facility. All of this is key infrastructure for Russia's war in Ukraine. And surely this Naval Sea Fleet headquarters is the biggest uh, infrastructure head of all, really. And if you look at what's been happening in the Crimea in the past few weeks, this is clearly part of Ukraine's strategy, that they are targeting areas that they believe are not only crucial for Russia's war effort, but also notably Russia has held since 2014. These are areas that have long been annexed, illegally annexed by Russia from Ukraine, and Ukraine's leadership have been very insistent that they intend to take it back. And clearly, this has been quite a damaging attack. As you can see from those videos, there's a lot still unfolding. Very good point, and you're all on top of it for us. Thank you so much, Katie. John? And look, there's also just huge symbolic value for Sevastopol here on the tip of the Crimean Peninsula from where the Russians host their Black Sea fleet to try to control the whole Black Sea. This was a city of port founded by Catherine the Great. This was the location of the Crimean War in the 1850s. It held out against the Nazis as long as it could in World War II, and then the Russians actually leased it back from Ukraine after the Cold War in 1991. This place, again, huge symbolic value to Russia. With us now is Ben Hodges, a retired lieutenant general and former commander of U.S. Army Forces in Europe. General, thank you so much for being with us. I mentioned the symbolic value. Talk to me about the strategic value for Ukraine to continue to strike this port hard. John, uh, Crimea is the most important terrain for this entire war. It's what we would call the decisive terrain. Ukraine knows they'll never be safe or secure as long as Russia is able to operate from there. Uh, Russia does not care about Donbass, except that that's where the land bridge is to Crimea. So if the Ukrainians are able to liberate Crimea, then this war actually, I think, will be over. So what's happening, what your team has been describing very well, this is part of the counteroffensive. The counteroffensive is much more than the land operation. It's also the air and sea and special forces, all these things that are happening this is the plan, the design by the Ukrainian general staff that is putting enormous pressure on the Russian general staff. And so ask the commander of the Black Sea Fleet how the counteroffensive is going. He would tell you it's going terrible from a Russian perspective. 
give people another view of what's going on here. Sevastopol is down here in the tip of the Crimean Peninsula. The land part of the counteroffensive is largely up here with Ukrainian forces trying to push inward on Russian lines here. And we have one other view of people, General, I, I, I want to show here of this. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the Ukrainians were able to get armor through right here in this region to break through some of the Russian lines. And the map I'm showing the audience from the Institute of the Study of War shows just how deep these Russian lines are. So if the Ukrainians have been able to get the first armored vehicles through some of these lines, what's the significance? So uh, the way that the Ukrainians will eventually liberate Crimea is by first isolating it and then making it untenable. So the ground part of the counteroffensive is aimed at just that, to isolate it by cutting the land bridge. That means either by physically sitting on top of it, which is going to be much more difficult, or with the penetrations that you're talking about, they will soon be able to bring up longer-range uh, rocket launchers and artillery that could disrupt any traffic moving down the land bridge. So the land part of this is a critical part of isolating Crimea. Meanwhile, all of these strikes against Sevastopol and Saki and Zhenkoi, this is all part of making it untenable so that the Russians can no longer operate from there. Uh, I got to let you go very quickly, but what in the AIDS package that Ukrainians are asking for, what weapons do they want in order to try to pressure the Crimean Peninsula? Of course, what they need is the attackums, the long-range precision strike capability that would be hitting Sevastopol and Saki and Zhankoi every day. A great package by the U.S. The U.S. continues to do a lot. The, the dual-purpose uh, improved conventional munitions, the cluster munitions, very effective for the artillery, but we still have not given the attackums, which would be the key. Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, great to have you on. Thank you so much. Before heading to Canada, Volodymyr Zelensky was in Washington appealing for more aid. But Ukraine's wartime leader wasn't feeling the love from everyone this time round on Capitol Hill. Instead, some skeptical congressional Republicans questioned the future of U.S. support. At the same time, Mr. Zelensky secured another aid package from the Biden administration. But there are lingering questions about possible Ukraine fatigue. Well, CNN's White House correspondent Jeremy Diamond joins us with more on all of this. Good to have you with us, Jeremy. So cold, frosty, getting the cold shoulder was some of the ways that this reception that Mr. Zelensky got uh, was, was described with the headlines from this visit in the U.S., which was such a contrast to the huge standing ovation he got last time round when he visited last year. No doubt about it. Last time President Zelensky was here nine months ago, he received essentially a hero's welcome in Washington. Uh, a, he was uh, offered a joint uh, session of Congress to address a joint session of Congress in a prime time address by the Speaker of the House at the time, Nancy Pelosi. But nine months later, he faced a fr much frostier reception, at least from the current House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, who did meet behind closed doors with Zelensky, but did not, it seems, want to be seen in public with the Ukrainian leader. And that's because uh, uh, that's a reflection of uh, waning support for Ukraine within the Republican Party, among uh, its rank and file, among its base voters, but 
also among some of those elected members of the House. As President Zelensky arrived, 23 House Republicans and six Republican senators issued a letter rejecting the Biden administration's latest request for $24 billion of additional aid for Ukraine. They are questioning essentially the open-ended commitment to this war and asking questions about Ukraine's strategy as it has made this kind of halting progress in its counteroffensive against Russia. And so that those numbers of Republicans, that's certainly not a majority of the Republican caucus. It seems fair to say that a majority of Republicans in Congress still do support aid for Ukraine. But the problem is Kevin McCarthy has a very, very narrow majority in the House. And in order to retain his speakership, he needs to retain the support of those members. And so far, he hasn't committed to bringing up that package for a vote. Of course, all of this is tied up in these broader spending negotiations as lawmakers race to avert a government shutdown in just over a week. So there's a lot of complicating factors. But one thing that President Zelensky and President Biden very much tried to use yesterday's visit as an opportunity to do was to try and make the case to the American public for why supporting Ukraine is so important, not only for that country, but also for the world at large and for the precedent that it could set if Russia is allowed to roll over and essentially grab all of this territory in Ukraine. And so President Biden was able to make that statement of continued support for the Ukrainian people. He expressed optimism that Congress will continue to approve additional funding for Ukraine. Why? He said because there is simply no alternative to that. And he was able to express that support, of course, as you mentioned, with that additional $325 million in additional assistance for Ukraine. The question is, will he be able to get that $24 billion package through? And if so, when? Linda? And so, Jeremy, just break down for us what's included in that $325 million package and what's missing. Yeah, well, it has uh, a, a significant air defense capabilities, anti-armor uh, munitions, uh, as well as uh, those cluster munitions, the controversial munitions, which President Biden uh, approved for the first time to send to Ukraine uh, earlier uh, this past summer. What it does not include, though, is the ATACM system, that uh, long-range missile system, which President Zelensky, as recently as a few days ago, was pleading with the United States to uh, provide. The National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, said that President Biden ultimately decided not to provide that system at this time after conducting an assessment of Ukraine's battlefield needs and also weighing that against the U.S.'s own defense arsenal needs. Uh, but to be clear, he said that it's not off the table entirely. And it is certainly possible that that system, which Ukraine has been asking for for some time now, could eventually be provided. We have seen, of course, time and again, the United States deny Ukraine's request for stepped up weaponry. We'll look at fighter jets, look at tanks, look at various uh, long range artillery systems saying no and then ultimately reversing that decision and saying yes at a later date when they feel it's more appropriate for the conditions on the battlefield. All right, Jeremy Diamond with a very comprehensive update from the White House. Thank you.